Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. You all know I am a big coffee drinker, but you may not know that I also enjoy a good cup of tea. Whether it's a hot beverage in the winter, a hot toddy when I'm not feeling well, or a big old jug of sun tea in the summer, I've been drinking tea for longer than I've been drinking coffee. A few years back, I began to pay more attention to the ingredients in my tea, and I discovered that many of the tea blends I was using contained artificial flavorings. Even the organic teas used so-called natural flavorings without indicating the source of that ingredient. And I'm sorry, but just because you say it comes from a natural source doesn't mean I want to drink it. So I started making my own tea blends from herbs I grow in my own garden. I sell many of these herbs as plants at our farm stands, and I help folks put together their own tea gardens every season. So this episode, we're going to talk about some of the most common herbs, flowers, and other plants to grow in your garden for making your own tea blends, and how to harvest and use those herbs, plus a few of my own favorite blends that you can try yourself. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five-acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. Before we get started on tea gardens, I'd like to welcome our newest listeners in Suriname and Ukraine. Thank you so much for being here. That brings us to a total of 34 countries listening across the globe, and I'm extraordinarily happy to be able to connect with each and every one of you every single week and give you the best help I can for your gardens. And if you find these episodes helpful, I encourage you to share them with your friends and family and post the episodes on social media so we can welcome more gardeners into the Just Grow Something family. So what is tea? Tea, it turns out, means a lot of things, actually. In, in the main way, it's defined as an aromatic beverage prepared by pouring hot or boiling water over the cured or fresh leaves of Camellia sinensis. So it's referring to that evergreen shrub. It's native to China and India and other East Asian countries. And besides water, tea is the most frequently consumed beverage in the world. Yes, even beating out my precious coffee. 
More than 80 billion cups of tea were consumed in the U.S. last year. And the U.K., of course, is renowned for consuming tea at an incredible rate, with an average annual per capita supply of 1.9 kilograms. That's 4.2 pounds per person per year of tea. Which brings me to the other definitions of tea, which is as a break or as a meal. And tea also refers to the tea plant itself, Camellia sinensis. So both green tea and black tea are actually derived from that same plant. The difference between the two is preparation and oxidation. So for black tea, you cut the whole leaves right at their peak of freshness from that plant, and then you allow it to wither. Withering naturally reduces the amount of the water in the plant, and then the leaves are set aside to dry and oxidize and ferment. Now, the chemical composition of the tea leaves changes through fermentation. The longer the leaves are allowed to oxidize, the darker the leaves become. And so that lengthy oxidation process is what gives black tea its very distinct, bold flavor. Now, conversely to that, green tea is exactly what it sounds like. The tea leaves are harvested in the same manner, and they might be allowed to wither slightly, but they're then they're either pan-fired or oven-dried or steamed to prevent that oxidation from, from taking place. So since the leaves don't undergo that fermentation, they keep that green color and they produce a lighter flavor. Now, the tea plant is mainly cultivated in tropical and subtropical climates, although there are specimens that are grown in cooler climates as far north as Scotland. But it takes several years to cultivate a tea plant before you can harvest from it. And many of us don't have the ability to grow them or to grow them indoors to get them to maturity. So for many of us, growing our own herbal tea is the way to go. So what we call herbal tea is technically an herbal infusion, since the definition of tea specifically refers to that particular plant. But it's just easier to say herbal tea, so that's what I'm going with here. Of course, herbal teas are also enjoyed globally, and they can be any combination of any plant, flower, herb, what have you. In fact, in many of the crop-specific episodes, when I talk about the ethnobotanical uses for a plant, you often hear me mention it being taken internally, and frequently, this is in some form of a tea. Now, there are boatloads of herbs that you can use for tea, and it really comes down to what flavors you prefer. I, for instance, love chamomile, but I know a lot of people can't stand the flavor of chamomile. So I'll give you some examples of what components are most common in herbal teas and a little bit about the growing conditions of them, and you can pick and choose what you might like. The good news is a lot of them are perennials, so you can plant your tea garden and continue to enjoy many of the plants for years to come. But even most of the annual plants are really easy to grow, and they're very fun to experiment with. And if you don't have an in-ground space, you can also grow these in containers or even small pots. I put together tea gardens in 12-inch pots every year for customers to grow on their balconies or in their windowsills, so if you've got some light, then you can grow some herbal tea. For all of these that I'm going to cover, you're going to want full sun. Herbs in general just prefer it, but in some instances, you will be able to get away with part sun, and I'll mention those when we get to them. Just know that eight hours is best, 
six hours is passable, and less than that is really reserved for special circumstances. Let's start with lemon balm. This is my go-to filler for adding volume to my teas without overpowering the other flavors. It smells very strongly of lemon when it's fresh, and honestly, I love to run my hands across it as I walk by, but I don't find that that scent translates into a strong lemon flavor in the tea when the herb is dried. So it's a great base for other flavors. Lemon balm is in the mint family, and like others in the mint family, it can tend to take over an area if it's planted in the ground. I grow mine in a raised bed, and it has that bed all to itself. I just take care to keep anything from jumping out and over the sides and rooting outside the bed, and that keeps it pretty well contained. Now, this is one of the few that actually does okay in part sun. The bed mine is in only gets morning sun at the midpoint of the season, and it still comes back nicely for me each year. Lemon balm contains a compound known as rosmarinic acid, which has antioxidant and antimicrobial properties. So for this reason, it's often used to treat anxiety and insomnia, heartburn, and indigestion. In addition to being used in teas, it's also used to marinate chicken and fish and to add flavor to baked goods and jams. So it's a nice handy herb to just have around. Now, next on my list is chamomile. I love chamomile by itself or mixed with other herbs or even with fruits. It's a very aromatic plant in the daisy family. It's got little white and yellow flowers. Now, there are two different types of chamomile used for tea. There is the perennial Roman chamomile and the annual German chamomile. There's also a yellow flower dyer's chamomile, which is only used to produce a yellow and brown dye. So know which one you're getting when you look for seeds or plants. I usually opt for a perennial herb in most cases if I have a choice, but in this instance, I actually prefer the annual. The flavor compounds of the German chamomile seem stronger to me, and you get more flowers from them. The Roman chamomile is a single-stem flowering plant, where the German has multiple stems. And since you mainly use the flower heads to pinch off and dry for the tea, the more the better. Plus, even though the German version is an annual, it readily self-seeds, so it generally is going to come back year after year anyway. As a side note, Roman chamomile's foliage is really fine and feathery, and so it's actually used as an earth-friendly lawn substitute um, in England. And, just like the lemon balm, I give my chamomile its own little area to just reseed itself and let it do its thing. Now, there's also a wild version of this here in the States. We have them popping up in cracks in the pavement, in the driveway, and in the yard occasionally. It's actually called pineapple weed, and it's in the same family and the same genus as the cultivated chamomile. The difference with this wild one is there are no white petals on the flowers. They're just cone-shaped flower heads with this kind of dull yellow color and no petals. You can use this for tea, but the flavor isn't nearly as strong. Now, chamomile has been used as an herbal remedy for centuries, and the most common uses these days are for insomnia, but also for anxiety, heartburn, and indigestion. Next on the list is lemongrass. Now, Unlike lemon balm, lemongrass does retain much of its lemony flavor when it's steeped, and it can take the place of, or be in addition to, dried lemon peels in teas. Now, unfortunately, it's not going to be a perennial in most places, only in zones 10 and 11, but you can grow it as an annual, 
And if you have a bigger pot that you can bring inside, you'll be able to overwinter it and bring it back out again or keep it year-round if you keep it cut back because these plants like to get big in their ideal climate. Now be forewarned, it can be toxic to dogs and cats, so let's keep it out of reach of the family pet, please. Lemongrass is native to Sri Lanka and India, and in addition to making a wonderful tea ingredient, it's also good in soups and stir-fries. And as a tea, it's commonly used to treat stomach aches, headaches, and as a cold remedy. Now, one of the most common herbal tea ingredients is mint. Now, you've got your basic types of mint, which are spearmint and peppermint, and they both have uniquely different flavors. I mean, spearmint, if you've ever had spearmint gum, that is exactly what a spearmint leaf tastes like. You either love it or you really don't. Um, peppermint is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. You get that really, really strong minty flavor, but it doesn't have that distinctness of the spearmint. And then there's curly mint, which smells like spearmint, but the flavor isn't nearly as strong. Now, in addition to these, there are all kinds of hybridized versions of peppermint that make fabulous flavor combinations. There's chocolate mint, orange mint, pineapple mint, grapefruit mint, and apple mint. <laughs> Any one of these or a combination of these is going to change the flavor profile of your tea, and they are super fun to experiment with. Now, you can use any of these mints by themselves, or you can combine them with other herbs and other flavors to make any number of combinations. My daughter is a fan of plain peppermint, but I prefer to mix mine with chamomile and lemon balm for a perfect bedtime tea. Now, mint is known to aid digestion and can help with stomach cramps. But now, no matter which one you plant, keep them separate from each other and from other plants because they tend to take over and they can even become invasive. Now, this is more likely with the base spearmint and peppermint plants, but even the hybridized versions can get a little unruly in the right climate. Most folks just plant them in containers, and I've had pots of mint sitting on my back porch that have come back year after year with no attention whatsoever. Now, mint definitely does best in full sun. It can get really leggy if it's grown in less than six hours of sun, and it has less of a chance of coming back the next year in those conditions, so just be aware of that. Another lemony ingredient is lemon verbena. Now, this is native to Argentina and Chile, so if you're in zones 8 through 11, this can be grown as a perennial shrub. Otherwise, it's an annual plant that gets planted out around the same time that you put out your tomatoes and your other heat-loving vegetables. Um, another good substitute for dried lemon peel in your teas, for lemon verbena has the most intense oil concentration per square inch of plant material, um, of any of the lemony ingredients. But be aware, this one is also toxic to cats and dogs, and this one also adversely affects horses. For teas, you can use both the leaves and the flowers of lemon verbena, and the leaves are also good for infusing sauces and oil and sugar with that lemony goodness. It's often added to teas for its purported ability to reduce inflammation, boost the immune system, calm the stomach, reduce fevers, soothe nerves, and clear up congestion. Now, one herb that is often overlooked in tea is thyme. Thyme is great for digestion and has antibacterial, antiviral, and antifungal properties. So it's often used to help with coughs and colds and infections. 
It's also in the mint family, and just like mint, thyme has been hybridized to have some citrusy undertones in both the lemon thyme and orange thyme. Unlike mint, however, thyme doesn't tend to take over the area that it's been planted in. Mine have typically had a bush-type habit and gotten larger each year, but only above the ground and not in a spreading manner. Now, instead of the citrusy hybrids, I go for the classic version, either a wispy English thyme or the more stocky German thyme. Um, both have very small leaves, but they are packed with flavor. And the German thyme just seems to be a little bit hardier to me, while the English thyme tends to be more low-growing and less woody. So I usually have multiple versions of these around the house in the garden somewhere. Now, the flavor of thyme in a tea by itself can take some getting used to. It leans toward the grassy or earthy side, and it can get bitter if it's steeped for too long, but it does well when it's part of a blend, so don't be afraid to play around with it a little bit. And of course, there are so many other culinary uses for thyme that it can't hurt to have a plant or two tucked in somewhere in the garden. Now, another tea component to grow at home is lavender. The component of the lavender plant that's used for tea is the flower buds, not the leaves. It is also in the mint family. Okay, look, Lamiaceae is a huge plant family, okay? There's a lot of things in there, and lavender is one of them. But lavender doesn't spread invasively like mint can. Of course, it has that very distinctive scent that you either love or hate. The same daughter of mine that loves peppermint tea can't stand anything lavender. Um, the flavor of lavender tea is also hit or miss with most folks. It's very floral with a minty finish. And typically, you can do a blend of lavender and chamomile and get the best of both worlds in terms of flavor, but also in benefits. Lavender is known for its calming properties, and it's often used as a sleep aid just like chamomile, so the two are really good together. Lavender is a tender perennial in zones 5 through 9, and there are larger bush versions and smaller dwarf varieties, depending on your gardening preference. I say tender perennial because it can be pretty temperamental. Um, one colder than normal winter or a wetter than normal summer could mean that you'll lose a couple of plants and have to start all, all over again. And even if they do just fine, they usually start to decline about oh, 8 or 10 years or so, and they'll need to be replanted anyway. And if you're in an area that's colder than Zone 5, the dwarf varieties can be grown in pots and overwintered indoors. Otherwise, just look for a fast-growing variety that blooms in its first year to allow you to collect those buds to dry and use for tea. And once again, this one can be toxic to dogs and cats, so keep an eye out for that. And then lastly, there is a super sweet component that you can grow for your teas, and that is stevia. Stevia is native to Brazil and Paraguay, and it's grown for its very sweet leaves, like 200 times sweeter than cane sugar sweet. It grows wild with a bush-like habit in very hot and humid regions, but in most other places we grow it as an annual. It does not like temperatures below 40 degrees Fahrenheit, so plant it out at the same time that you're planting your tomatoes and your peppers and all your other warm weather stuff. It does really well in raised beds and in pots because the roots appreciate good drainage. Stevia, like basil, does not like its feet to stay wet. It's very prone to root rot. 
The fun thing about stevia is it makes a good houseplant. So you can plant it in a pot and keep it outside all summer and then bring it in before your first frost and enjoy it all winter long. The leaves can actually be enjoyed raw. You can just pick one off and munch on it. And you can also just use it in tea while it's whole and fresh. I do that with my sun tea. I will throw fresh leaves of stevia in with my sun tea to naturally sweeten it while it's steeping. But most commonly, the leaves are dried and then crumbled as a component to sweeten your hot tea as it steeps, or crushed into a powder and used as a sugar substitute. This is what you're probably used to seeing in the grocery store in the little containers. A little bit goes a long way, and actually using too much of it can leave a bitter aftertaste. But it's a great way to add a little sweetness to your tea blend without using sugar or honey, and it's already in the mix when you steep it. I love it. I grow it every year. And really quickly, let's talk about things that you can grow in your garden that aren't herbs that can also be added to your tea blends. Things like ginger, turmeric, raspberry leaf, chrysanthemums, roses, honeysuckle, any of your berries or fruits like apples, plums, or pears. All of these components can be dried and used as a flavorful addition to your herbal teas. The dehydrating can be done in the oven on low temperatures or with an actual dehydrating machine. Just be sure that you dry the components enough that there's no chance of them going moldy. And if you're unsure, then store the dried fruits in their own container in the fridge and just add them to your teas when you steep them. You can also add other components like cinnamon, cloves, and other spices that you may not be able to grow, but that you can find in your spice cabinet to add some depth to your blends. So how do you collect, store, and use all of these herbal components? You can either choose to use your ingredients fresh or dried. I typically will gather fresh ingredients and use some of them for steeping my sun tea, while the remainder are drying in my dehydrator for use later on. And then I store the ingredients individually in their own containers and then I make my blends later on. Now, like I said, with the fruits, you don't have to have a dehydrator for your herbs. You can absolutely dry the ingredients in an oven on its lowest setting with the door cracked open, or you can just hang them to air dry. The key is to just make sure there's plenty of airflow to prevent the possibility of mold. Then, once they're dry, store them in a cool, dry, dark place until you're ready to blend and use. Whether you use the ingredients fresh or dry, when you're ready for tea time, just use you know one, two, maybe three teaspoons in your favorite cup and pour some boiling water over them. Steep them for around five minutes or maybe up to 15 if you really want a stronger flavor. Play around and see what flavors work for you. What are some of my favorite combinations? Well, I already mentioned the chamomile, peppermint, and the lemon balm for a very lovely bedtime drink. Um, I also blend chamomile, stevia leaf, and dried strawberries for a strawberry chamomile tea. Spearmint, lemongrass, peppermint, and raspberry leaf makes a very nice minty, fruity mix. And lemongrass, ginger, peppermint, and stevia makes a really good lemon ginger tea without being too overwhelming. And I use that blend to make my hot toddies when I'm under the weather. 
And of course, you can do many of these blends with a base of black tea, too. I order organic black tea to be shipped to me, and I blend it with peppermint, raspberry leaf, and dehydrated blackberries to make a blackberry mojito tea that'll knock your socks off. The whole point is to be creative and have fun and do what you like with what you have from your garden and enjoy your tea without wondering what the heck is in it. I hope this inspires you to grow a little bit of your own tea in your own garden this year. And if you do, I'd love to hear about it. Reach out and let me know what combinations are you coming up with this season. Cheers. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to Patreon.com slash JustGrowSomething to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon.